Minnesota Vikings have brought joy and misery to the Vikings fans for many years. At the Skull Purple Podcast, we just want to see the Vikings party with the Lombardi. Join us for analysis, interviews, laughs, and much more. It's the podcast by Vikings fans for Vikings fans. The Skull Purple Podcast starts now. Here's your host, Carson Schubert. Welcome into the Skull Purple Podcast. We are joined by a very special guest. Uh, of course, we've got Tony in the building, myself, Carson, and we are joined by Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, also known as Vikings blogger extraordinaire, useful human, and still a consumer of Totino's Party Pizzas. Arif, <laughs> welcome to the show. Hello. I thought we were getting into that later. I didn't know that that was going to be in the intro, man. That's... <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to I got to throw it in, you know, I got to right. throw it in. Throwback, <laughs> throwback Wednesday, even though this will be released on a Thursday. So th a pre throwback Thursday. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. You said you schedule your throwback Thursday. I like it. That's right. That's right. How are you so doing, man? How are things going? In. I'll go for go it. Ahead, I was I, I was going to ask a throwaway question of Are you going pepperoni, sausage, or combination with the totinos? Uh, with totinos, uh, I think the the little fake little tiny pepperoni cubes. Uh, <laughs> that's that's what I'm that's what I'm going with. I like the combination, but I think I have to stick with the pepperoni. But yeah, man, it's I'm I'm good. It's been a while, Carson, since we talked. I'm excited to do it again. I think we've got um, you describing some of the stuff we've got scheduled up. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it should be a fun time. Arif, by the way, uh, for those of you that don't know, he is uh, with Pro Football Network, as I said, but he's also been chopping it up with Trey Wingo. I've been hearing Arif. So uh, that is fantastic. Trey Wingo, former ESPN anchor. He was on ESPN for how long? Um, so you're, you're just moving on up the big, the big ladder there. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah, for sure. Uh, no, it's, it's been, it's been a fun journey, you know, going from, uh, you know, the daily Norseman bleacher report, uh, I was at Vikings territory for a little while and then, uh, you know, doing zone coverage and then the athletic and then, uh, now pro football network and, and being able to do shows with like ESPN personalities, but it's been, uh, a, a ton of fun, you know, going through all of this. And obviously, you know, a lot of it's, you know, I got pretty lucky, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take that for what it's worth too. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you still have time for the little guys here. So we appreciate that. <laughs> not not I mean, so little we physically together. speaking, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, Arif, I don't know if you knew this or not, but uh, I met Mike Zimmer in a total wine once. So so there's that. You got Wingo. Perfect. I have a parking lot meeting with Mike Zimmer. So how do you like that? Well, I mean, you, you've got you've got him probably at his best, right? He's probably his happiest. Uh, when oh he's, yeah, when he's, at a total wine. he's about to consume some wine. <laughs> yeah, he loves. Yeah, I, wine, I guess you right? know. Yeah, here, here's a big tester for you though. So I'm gonna give you a hint. It was beer this time. What do you think Mike right. Zimmer had in the cart? It was a case. What was it? It was a case. There, okay, no chance it was a an IPA or anything craft. But he might buy local. I doubt it, but I could see it. I am gonna go. I'm just gonna go with a with a classic. I'm gonna go with Bud. He seems like he wouldn't overcomplicate things. You going Bud Classic? Yeah. What do you think, Carson? You I think you on the... told me this before, but uh, I'll I'll go with 
I'll go with what Arif said. It's going to seem obvious. Coors Light. I was, oh, Coors man. Coors Light? I, it was, it you was know, in I my brain. It was in my brain. <laughs> think about it. <laughs> yeah, I Light said, hey, simmer, coach. And, simmer of red wine and Coors Light. He gave me the salute, and uh, that was it. So, perfect. Hot take. Well, at least you got that. Yeah. At least you yep. got that. It's better than nothing, yep, the for old, sure. The old slap, snapping turtle was, uh, he was having a good day, I think. <laughs> all right well arif we appreciate you being here uh obviously you've been giving your thoughts on the vikings offseason a part of norse code of course and on the minnesota football party which has been awesome kind of a uh rewind if you will to the zone coverage days for you um obviously luke braun has been added i know much to your dismay on that uh but uh I want to hear your thoughts on the Vikings offseason so far. Obviously, some of the big things, uh, hiring Brian Flores, signing Byron Murphy, Dean Lowry, and then uh, also Isaiah or uh, Josh Oliver, Brandon Powell, and Troy Reader. But uh, you can, you know, go sporadic. You don't have to go in that order. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to, you have to remind me a little bit uh, as, as we go through, of course, but um, I think the one that that caused people the most consternation was, you know, that Josh Oliver signing, right? You know, the reported average was seven million dollars a year. That's not quite the case, given the the nature of the contract. I don't think he's going to see uh, the the money in his third year, just because it's completely unguaranteed, and the cap hit that year is thirteen million. So unless he becomes the receiving tight end that many expected him to be coming out of college, in addition to his blocking prowess, that seems like that's not going to happen. Um, and so really we have to evaluate it like a, a two year, uh, I'd say probably a, t a two year, $10 million contract. So it's, it's about a $5 million average, which I think for what is probably, uh, one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL. And I say probably, because even though that's kind of who he was last year, we, we don't have an enormous sample to, to draw off of. So we're, we're taking it upon that one year sample that he is an elite blocking tight end. If that's the case. I think $5 million a year makes a ton of sense, right? Uh, you know, the Vikings obviously are pretty excited about, about the player that he is, the player that he could potentially be. The way that they described him was primarily as a blocking tight end, but I think that they're also going to experiment with using the speed that he demonstrated at the NFL Combine to see if, because he was one of the faster tight ends when he tested, to see if he could be, yeah. you know, a potential field stretcher, right? And in that case, you know, then it's a huge bargain, right? And in uh, that, that third year is probably going to be renegotiated in his favor rather than, uh, in the Vikings' favor. So we'll kind of see what goes on in that scenario. But I, largely, I think that's a good deal. I think a lot of people were really upset about it because of the number that came out. But I think that when you take a look at what the Vikings seemingly plan to do, and I think that the extension of C.J. Ham kind of affirms it, is that they want to emphasize... I'm going to say, I don't think they want to emphasize running. I know that, that Kevin O'Connell talked a lot about running both at the Combine and a little bit at the owners' meeting just now about how much they want to make sure that they run the ball better. And certainly they want to run the ball better, right? But I think they want to make sure that their run action looks really clean too, right? Like if they can, and I don't know if I completely agree with the numbers behind this, but I think that they're thinking is if they can consistently threaten to run five yards in first and 10, then their play action stuff is going to look a lot better too. Uh, and so, you know, they didn't do a ton of play action last year. I suspect, you know, they didn't feel confident in it because of, of how poor that run game was. Um, and and I think that both of those, you know, being a little bit better, probably it's going to help out the Vikings. So I think that's the thought there. 
Um, now for um, uh, Marcus Davenport, that's uh, that's a one-year, thirteen million dollar deal. Um, the well, details were just just released. So let me see if I can uh, get a good look at the uh, the deal real quick because I should have come prepared, right? Um, but I know that it's not like a complete. It it doesn't look exactly like it's a thirteen-year cap hit, right? Um, so I think that when we have an understanding of kind of yeah, there's four void years added on top of it. So it's a ten, it's a six million dollar cap hit. If they decided to cut him tomorrow for whatever reason, um, it would be ten million dollars dead against the cap. So a lot of it was in signing bonus, eight and a half million in signing bonus. So the idea behind this deal, obviously, is that it's a one year prove it deal. But the Vikings have the ability to kind of recapture a lot of the the expected dead cap hit next year if Marcus Davenport actually plays well. So what happens next year is that the Vikings will take a $6.8 million cap hit with him not on the roster. Um, so if they don't extend him, that's what's going to happen. And so that is the the nature of the thing, right? So $5.9 million this year, $6.8 million next year. The idea, of course, is that he's auditioning essentially for additional years on his contract with the Vikings. I understand this. With... Um, with uh, Marcus Davenport and Dean Lowry, who we'll talk about in a second, I, I think the Vikings are continuing to do uh, this buy the dip sort of thing where they're buying players coming off of down years for them when they have demonstrated that they can do a really great job at their peaks when they, when they have really high ceilings. And both both of them have really high ceilings. Uh, Davenport has shown uh, a pretty high pressure rate for who he is. And even after you account for stuff like double teams, um, he actually drew more double teams last year than Cameron Jordan. That's something to keep in mind. Um, and they're kind of banking on the fact that he played for much of the year over 300 pounds. His official weight is 280. He showed up to camp overweight He's coming off of an injury at the end of his uh, 2021 season, heading into 2022. Um, he before then had a lot of difficulty getting up to 280. He played a lot at 260, 265. Um, and so, uh, I suspect what had happened was while he was injured, he was limited in what he could do to work out, uh, but he was still kind of eating the same. Right. And like I just mentioned, he needed to eat a lot in order to maintain a 280 pound weight with his normal workout schedule. Without that, he kind of ballooned a little bit and he was slow and sluggish all season. He looked a lot like a defensive tackle. You watch a lot of the New Orleans state stuff, especially the first half of the year. He looked a lot like a defensive tackle. Um, and that wasn't very good. You know, that's one reason he only had half a sack despite, pretty good pass rush win rate. So the Vikings are hoping they can get him at his athletic best. If they do, they'll probably extend him. You don't have to worry about the dead cap hit. So it's only a $5.9 million cap hit this year. Um, now he, he gets, he gets away with a lot here because he gets a ton guaranteed at signing. He's $10 million guaranteed, right? So um, even if the Vikings don't like what they got out of him, he's making out like a bandit, but the Vikings have a lot of cap flexibility with this kind of move. I never loved Marcus Davenport as a prospect. I thought he was kind of overrated on the Saints. He has never had more than 600 snaps in a season. But the nature of this deal makes me think the Vikings are probably doing something smart here. Uh, and so even if you know Marcus Davenport is not the person that the New Orleans Saints traded an additional first-round picks, they traded two first-round picks to get him, right? Even if he's not that player, right? Um, but he does turn into an effective edge defender. I think that this probably turns into a pretty smart deal for the Vikings. The same thing I think is true of Dean Lowry, um, whose deal I don't uh, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. I don't remember it off the top of my head. But um, my understanding is they didn't sign him for very much. But um, it's another buy the dip. There were about six weeks in 2021 where he played like a top five, maybe a top ten, but maybe top five defensive interior lineman in the NFL. 
He was astounding uh, in, in the middle portion near the end of 2021. Truly astounding. 2022 wasn't there. I, I, I'm not entirely sure why. I'm going to have to check into his injury history, but the explosion wasn't there. Uh, you know, his bull rush, which is his primary move to get into the pocket, collapsed the pocket, wasn't there. He wasn't as good of a run defender. So they started taking him off the field a lot more often um, and and putting, you know, some of their better other interior defensive linemen defenders on the field, which is kind of a problem. They didn't really have a remarkably deep interior defensive line. So if he's losing snaps to these guys, it's not great. Um, but at his best, he was playing really high level football. So I think this is just another case where the Vikings are buying the dip. So um, those are all things that I totally understand. I'm trying to remember the other signings. Brandon Powell, kick returner. I think that um, obviously, I think they signed him to veteran minimum, uh, and the cap charge is, is like yeah. 680, even though he's officially signed for like 1.1 or something like that. Um, you know, that that's just it's. I, I wouldn't call call it a flyer or anything like that, but it's just you know, we saw some really great stuff from Kenny Wong as a kick returner his rookie year, right? Uh, you know, when he finally got healthy and was able to get on the field, we did not see a ton of that. We saw like a little smidgen of it. We didn't see a ton of it. You know, the following year, I think that the Vikings are still committed to Kenny Wangu as a kick returner, right? They don't really have an answer at punt returner. Like, I, I don't know if you would trust Jalen Rager, right, out there, at least without some level of competition. Now, if, if Rager wins uh, a punt returner competition, I think that that's something different than if he's handed it, right? But uh, Powell, who's primarily been a kick returner for the Rams, and of course, there's the Kevin O'Connell Rams connection. Um, did do a lot of punt returning last year. So I think that that's going to be kind of part of it. And then they get a backup kick returner, right? Because you can't be confident that Kenny Wong is going to be healthy. So that makes sense. It's hard for me to, if there's any utility at all in a player, it's hard for me to disagree with a veteran minimum signing. There's virtually no cap penalty. So good signing there. Troy Reader, he had some really good games for Los Angeles. I think that as a signing, it's a, it's a relatively, it's a bargain signing. Um, I don't expect him to necessarily beat out Jordan Hicks, but I think that there is some opportunity for a genuine competition there. I would hope that the Vikings invest like maybe a mid-round pick at a linebacker or something like that. It is not a great linebacker class. So, you know, if they decide to pass on that, kind of get it. Um, but um, I, I would expect at least some level of competition. Certainly Troy Reader has uh, some special teams experience that's going to be pretty valuable. The Vikings have lost a lot of special teamers um, over the past two free agencies. So uh, having an additional special teamer in there, probably good. Uh, there's not much, I think, to comment with Reader, but I will say that his ceiling, given the level of play that he's demonstrated in in um, in Los Angeles, which, by the way, is going to be a completely different defensive system with Brian Flores, right? So I don't know how it's going to translate. But the level of play that he's displayed at his best tells us that there might be something there. So I, I do like that signing too. And it's interesting because most of the time, I'm pretty critical of the Vikings a lot, right? And and I didn't love initially the Marcus Davenport signing, but you know, the structure, you know, makes me think that there are some good things here. Um, but these signings so far, the ones I've described anyway, I kind of like. Is there anyone I missed off of that group? I think you hit them all. I think really? Wow, I didn't all. expect that. <laughs> I've been <laughs> my head has been somewhere else all day, so I'm happy I, I nailed that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, you hit them all. Um, uh, Dean Lowry's contract, by the way, two years, eight and a half million, uh, eight and they, a half total. So it's like 4.25 average. Yes. And they can year. get out of it after this year with no dead cap. So really, so he's got a really low amount of guaranteed, no signing yep. bonus, just like a roster bonus off the top, uh, signing bonus, 600,000, uh, roster, yeah. 225 
per game. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then 50,000 workout. Yep. So yeah. And, and Arif, it seems like the Vikings are, and I know you guys have talked about this. We've talked about it. Seems like the Vikings are really trying to keep that 2024 pocketbook as open as possible here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it all, it, because I mean, first of all, you know, they're going to take a 28 and a half million from Kirk cousins. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of depends on what they do with some of these other voids, right. You know, they have to figure out if they, they want to keep, uh, you know, like I just said, Marcus Davenport, that's going to have a small impact on it, but the 2024 cap outlook for the Vikings is generally, you know, pretty solid once you account for like that Kirk cousins deal. So, um, if you take a look at their like projected top 51 cap in 2024, which, you know, that's, that's not going to be you know, definitive, right? Because a lot of these things change up until then. Um, the Vikings have just above, uh, they're just above cap compliant at 14 million. Um, and it's that, I think primarily it's the cousins thing there. Um, so I think probably, you know, they're going to be able to free up a lot of it, just like with restructures and stuff like that. There's a lot of flexibility there. Um, but, uh, they're, they're probably thinking about, you know, adding additional pieces to go with a rookie quarterback. I don't know. Um, if, cause I, I, I don't anticipate, you know, technically if Lamar Jackson signs his tag, you know, he would be on the market next year and it's going to be a little bit more difficult for the Ravens to offer a tag again, but I don't know of any quarterbacks that are likely to hit the market. I know that heading into this year, there were a lot of quarterbacks that we were anticipating in the off season might potentially hit the market in 2023, 2024. I don't know that that looks the same. So I don't know if they'll be able to go after a quarterback, but, um, you know, there, there's an opportunity for them to go after, you know, if they do, in fact, move on from Zedarius Smith, go after an edge rusher if Marcus Davenport doesn't work out, right? To go after another corner to pair with Byron Murphy if, you know, Andrew Booth doesn't work out. So um, they're keeping some room, uh, I think, in case, but um, there is like, they, they are already kind of technically cap compliant for 2024, which is not true for every team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tony, anything you want to add uh, on Arif's thoughts there? I mean, not necessarily add anything. I mean, obviously, I agreed with everything that you mentioned. I was a little less sour on the Oliver signing personally, just because, again, I, I'm I'm the type where if I hear a name that I don't recognize right away, I'm going to do a little digging. And what I saw out of him was what you interluded to, a lot of the athleticism that we saw coming out of college. I know the way he's been utilized, obviously, since coming into the league um, has certainly been a bit more on, on the blocking side. But I think there's something there, and if anything, it just gives us another weapon. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, Arif, because this is something that I pitched out to the group. But do you think in a way, you know, maybe Kevin O'Connell looks at this as an opportunity to maybe have some looks that maybe they were hoping to have late last season with a healthy Irv Smith and Hawkinson? Obviously, it really didn't work out with Irv. Now he's with the Bengals. Um, but now kind of having Oliver and Hawk in the stables, knock on wood, everybody's healthy going into the regular season. Do you think maybe some of that is because they thought they could really exploit some matchups and getting a guy in they think that could actually fill the, the void that they thought they had in Irv Smith? Uh, I don't know that this is necessarily, you know, I, I think by the time Irv Smith got healthy, I think the Vikings had an understanding that they would probably move on, that they weren't yeah. planning on using him that much. I think that this is, a retool of kind of what they want to do offensively. I think they want to punish teams for light boxes. And I think that that is a, a product of them coming together after the offseason and saying, 
what do we do well? What do we do poorly? What opportunities are there available for us? Uh, in in deciding, you know, hey, a lot of teams are are suddenly becoming efficient running the ball. Not all of those teams necessarily have to have running quarterbacks. Now, if you take a look at the most efficient teams running the ball, you know, it's like the Eagles and the Ravens, right? Like they have running quarterbacks, you know, the, the Falcons are actually up there, you know, like, yeah, all credit to Cordell Patterson and Tyler Algier, but they ran Marcus Mariota quite a bit, right? They were top, like they were top five, you know, the, the giants are up there. Well, they decided to run Daniel Jones a lot, treat him like a little bit like a running quarterback. So, um, you know, the most efficient teams do have a running quarterback, but there were teams that were able to run the ball without necessarily deploying their quarterback as a running weapon. Um, the 49ers are a good example um, that were efficient, you know, and that kind of runs in some contradiction to kind of the way that um, a lot of analytically minded people like to think about the, you know, about, um, you know, modern football. And I think that that's fair. I think that as the league kind of changes, some new opportunities open up. And I think the Vikings want to be aggressive about, you know, grabbing that opportunity because if they see somebody go into um, kind of nickel personnel, which is, as everyone says, you know, it's, it's the base personnel in the NFL nowadays. And they've been saying it for about like five years now. Um, and they want to be able to run into that. And I, I think that that is less to do with the fact that Irv Smith wasn't the player that they thought he would be and more to do with the defenses that they saw. You know, they saw a bunch of people going in nickel and then double teaming Justin Jefferson. And they were like, well, we do have some opportunities to take advantage of that, but we weren't able to get the ball to Adam Thielen. We had to rely on TJ Hawkinson. And though he's good, right, you know, he made the Pro Bowl for a reason. We want to be able to be more aggressive about punishing teams for, you know, double teaming Justin Jefferson. Take a safety out of the box, put him on top of Jefferson. We'll run at the gap that that's left in the run game. And if you can't run well, you can't really punish teams for doing that. So I think that that it, it was more about getting out of 11 personnel and punishing teams and then maybe even being a little bit flexible. I mean, they see, for example, CJ Ham as a player that has the ability to be um, effective. Maybe weapon is too strong a term, but effective in the passing game. Uh, and, you know, if you pair that with the opportunities that could be there with uh, with Josh Oliver. Right. And and again, like look, you mentioned his usage pattern uh, with Baltimore in particular makes it kind of difficult to, to totally figure out. I think he was only on the field for, I want to say, 40 percent of snaps. One thing that I think a lot of people have to remember is that if you can choose between Mark Andrews and almost any other tight end in the NFL, you're picking Mark and like, of course, this guy's right. on the bench, right? right. Like, like, so, so the fact that he got 40% of snaps at all, I think is actually a testament to how well he played really, if anything. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they just drafted um, Isaiah likely, right? Like there, there was a lot of tight end talent um, and, and they grabbed Josh Oliver, not thinking he would be big and he outperformed his contract there or rather the, his waiver assignation really. Um, and so I, I, that's really the lens we should view it. How many snaps did the Ravens expect to get out of him when they acquired him? How many did he get? Well, substantially more. Right. Um, and I think that, uh, they're, they're of the mind that when they see, um, you know, a really heavy personnel grouping, right. When they see, you know, Hey, we've got CJ ham out there. We've got Josh Oliver out there. Obviously we've got Hawkinson and pick your halfback of choice, right? And then one receiver, right? We've got Justin Jefferson, right? And and the team, logically, you know, the defense responds by putting, you know, three linebackers, four defensive linemen, or potentially even 4-4 four, four or 5-3, or something like that, right? Um, you know, they respond by getting into base or getting out of nickel or even putting an additional heavy body on the field. You know, they see that, and you can say, Hey, Josh Oliver can run up the seam. We know he's got that athleticism. He's good. He's a good athlete. He's a good receiver, better than we thought, right? TJ Hawkinson can split out wide. CJ Ham can go into the slot. 
now we've got a bunch of receiving weapons that have the ability to run the ball, right? And so um, now that they're in a personnel with a linebacker that they have in the field, it only exists to defend the run. He's not very good, right? It's like your own Ben Gideon, right? Not very good at defending the pass, stellar against the run. Well, why would we run the ball then? Let's let's throw the ball, pair Dalvin Cook up against their Ben Gideon or whoever that is, right? And and we know that we're going to win that matchup. We know that we're going to win Justin Jefferson against a corner in single coverage. We know that we're going to win TJ Hawkinson uh, up against the safety out wide, right? We know we're going to win these matchups in the passing game because we've created, we forced them into this situation. Uh, so I think that's what they're envisioning is that they'll always have an answer when they put out this kind of personnel on the field. So I think that's the plan. I think it's less about we didn't get what we wanted out of Irv. Um, they didn't, right? But I think it's less about that and more about trying to see the direction the NFL is going and getting ahead of it. We interrupt this episode with Arif Hassan of Pro Football Network to tell you the biggest tournament in college basketball is underway and the action is just getting started on DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any pregame money line, bet and score $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Plus, combine multiple bets for a shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings will be featuring parlays and odds boosts all tournament long, so be sure to check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day to see what they have in store. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code TPPN. For our YouTube audience, you can see the code on the screen. Right now, new customers can bet $5 on any pregame money line bet and get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes and details below for the description on YouTube for our video audience. Back to the show. You mentioned Josh Oliver. You guys were talking about that. It sounds like Kevin O'Connell, based on a couple of press conferences that we've seen, or a couple of interviews anyway, that we've seen from him, he thinks that this personnel grouping, Arif, will give the Vikings a much better chance of getting JJ in a situation they like better too on the outside because like you said, they got to change those personnel groupings. If you're coming out uh, with two tight end sets and you got fullback CJ ham in there too. Now, is that always going to be the case? Maybe not, but it seems like Kevin O'Connell is very excited to get this formation out there for teams to look at. Yeah, and, and I think it's you know it's probably going to be like a, a, a second or a third and short type of formation. I don't think we're going to see 22 personnel a ton, but I think we're going to see a fair amount of 21 or 12 personnel, which is either the two running backs or the two tight ends. Probably not a ton of both, but more than, than we're used to seeing, and, and they'll be able to kind of exploit that. So, um, yeah, I think it's less about, hey, we've got 11 personnel, we've got three wide receivers, our three wide receivers are going to be your three wide receivers don't even have a third wide receiver. So uh, I think that they want to see if they can win some of these, some of these matchups that that creates. Can we finally run the ball on third or fourth and one, please? It was <laughs> yeah. a lot of passing on third and fourth and one last year. We talked about it at length on our post game shows. And I, and I think honestly, it, it was a lot of the personnel, right? The Vikings didn't feel like they were, comfortable with the personnel that they had and now i think maybe they do yeah exactly and the vikings were 
good at passing on third and short, but they did throw the ball quite a bit on third and short. Again, better than most teams on third and short, but still, you want to be as good as possible. And with that threat of the run, it, it becomes really difficult to be consistently effective, especially because running the ball on third and short, even the analytics guys agree, is is a really smart move. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you wanted to add? Well, I have, I have a, yeah, well, I just have an interesting take on maybe, you know, what we're doing in situational football. And I know I've mentioned this to Carson enough times, and especially once we got deep into the season in some of our post game shows, but Arif, I'd love to hear your, your view on this. And maybe I'm just nuts, but it felt so nice early in the season. I'd say for maybe the first quarter to half of the season, it was like, look at an offense that does, doesn't always run the ball on first down. <laughs> and uh, and it felt like we kind of moved away from that as the season went on. And it just felt like this offense got a little bit more predictable. And I and I get that, you know, I'm sure they look at all the analytics and, and certainly they're going to try to put their best foot forward. They're obviously not paying me to be in the building. But from an outside perspective, it definitely felt like all of a sudden we started to kind of get a little bit more Again, a little more predictable. It's it felt like I saw a lot of a lot of first down runs. It just felt like the creativity um, we kind of lost it a little bit, and I think the pendulum started to swing because uh, there were a few times where the creativity bit him uh, in the in the behind, <laughs> and so that it was like, well, let's go back to a little more conservative look. But what was kind of your view that way? Yeah, I think. Um... I think that you're right that there was a little bit of predictability lost there. I would say it was still smart to throw the ball as often as they did. I think that they did. They were pretty effective. Yeah. Um, they were one of the most pass happy teams on first and 10 uh, when you account for things like score differential and stuff like that. Um, and, and it did kind of limit their opportunities to be explosive in the passing game. When you're always throwing the ball there, the throws that you have aren't as valuable. Um, and I do think that there is something lost a little bit without that creativity, that additional threat of the run. I think they limited themselves a little bit more than they needed to. I think that they were scared to do play action when the run game wasn't good. And it's sure. really about what the keys for the linebackers are. They're, if they're not afraid of the run, they're still going to attack the run if they think one is happening. Right. So and statistically, that bears out when they've been poor uh, running games or people haven't run the ball very often play action is still very effective. This is actually something Kirk cousins has talked about before. He thinks that, you know, well, you should play action more often. Right. Um, so I think that they were kind of more limiting themselves, but certainly I think that, um, having that available, I mean, Kevin O'Connell mentioned himself, like, Hey, if I'm at second and five, I've got every available, you know, play in the playbook to me, you know, second and five is so freeing. I don't have to go, uh, you know, get seven yards because it's second and 10. I don't have to immediately convert because it's third and one. I've got the whole playbook in front of me. And he wants to be able to do that by running the ball. And so they're probably going to run the ball a little bit more. Maybe we're going to see the kind of balance that I think a lot of people want to see that allow you to be um, a little bit more unpredictable on first and 10. But I, I do think that you're right that they were a little bit unpredictable. I don't want to overstate the importance of that just because they were still pretty effective throwing the ball on first and 10 even late in the season. It's just, it, it gets kind of annoying knowing how good they could be. Yeah. Yeah. All the pieces yeah. are there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Arif, uh, before we wrap up our off season talk, which seemingly has gone on uh, forever. Um, but I, I just want to get your thoughts. If you had to put a letter grade, obviously not complete, 
But if you had to put a letter grade on where you think the Vikings land so far, where would you have to put it? I'd say a B. You know, I've been I've been praising the free agency signings and I've been talking about all the things I like about them. But the thing ultimately is that um the Vikings are fairly committed to to winning within this window, right? Obviously, there is there seemingly is a plan in place to move on from cousins. I mean, without without a real extension, when when an extension involves only void years to reduce a cap hit, it's it, it's tough to say that you know they're entirely in win now mode, but certainly they are preparing for a future where where they they kind of need to make the playoffs and win right they were a team that was on the on the razor's edge every single game right you know and and you cannot really replicate your success going forward in that capacity and so i think that if their goal truly was to to win a lot more games this year or to be more successful in the playoffs and make the playoffs be more successful then i think they need to be more aggressive about you know grabbing higher quality players they made a bunch of good gambles, right? They made a bunch of, hey, we're going to buy low here. Um, oh, you know, the person we didn't talk about is Byron Murphy. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. They, they, did, they did grab one guy that they bought pretty high, which is Byron Murphy, um, which I'm a little bit worried about coming off a contract year, his best year. Um, didn't have the world's best career at Arizona, but it's coming off a pretty good year. But it has a lot of familiarity with the things that he'd be asked to do with the Brian Flores offense. That is probably one where it's kind of a higher floor, lower ceiling Kind of guy, maybe there's a high ceiling there. I mean, he's pretty young, right? But um, you know, it was it's I think it's a lot of lottery tickets, right? And you're not always gonna, I mean, the Zedarius Smith one worked out like gangbusters, right? That worked out really well. But um I, you're not really gonna win every lottery ticket, right? And so I think that they should have been more aggressive about finding a guy that they love. And if they're not, I think that they should have been a little bit more comfortable finding ways to work things out with somebody like Eric Kendricks. I don't trust Jordan Hicks. I would like the amount that they saved off of Eric Kendricks versus the amount that Jordan Hicks takes up against the cap. Not a huge difference, honestly. And so uh, I, I probably would have said, Hey, we, we moved on from our defensive coordinator and our inside linebackers coach for a reason. We brought in new ones, right? We didn't love the performance that we got from an inside linebackers coach. I agree. I think the fact that Eric Hendricks underperformed is more a symptom of that than an example of him necessarily falling off. So I probably would have kept him and I probably would have been more aggressive about, you know, getting an edge rusher that you like a little bit more. Um, and you can probably, you know, spread. You, these, I mean, these high quality edge rushers, you could still get their first year cap hit to be around six million dollars. You just have to be locked in for 2024, 2025, et cetera, in a way that you aren't for Marcus Davenport. So it's not as if they were as cap constrained as, as everyone seems to, to talk about. Um, so I would have been more aggressive about getting kind of more sure things. Um, and if, if you're going to swing for the fences, like truly swing for the fences, I mean, Lamar Jackson's right there, right? Like if, if you're really going to do like this, like lottery pick style, we're going to, we're going to buy the dip. We're going to go for the highest ceiling on the planet. Uh, Marcus Davenport's not it, right? Lamar Jackson's it. Uh, that would have been yeah. super risky, but it feels like they're they're taking a bunch of risks that make sense. But, you know, all together, I think that there's, you know, uh, a, a floor that, that like a bottom that could drop out. Yep. How you doing for timer, Reef? Yeah, I'm good. Five is good. Okay. All right. Um, well, last couple of things I want to get to before we let you go, Arif. Um, obviously, a lot has come out in the last week or so with the Vikings and 
possibly trading for a quarterback in Lamar Jackson, as we've heard the Vikings potentially in the top two or three for his services, but also for potentially trading up for a quarterback. There's been talk about that. So I've got to ask you, what are your thoughts on both of those scenarios, Lamar Jackson to the Vikings and potentially the Vikings trading for a quarterback and uh, trading up for a quarterback? Um, um, go ahead. I, I don't think that the Vikings are really in the Lamar Jackson market. I mean, from my understanding, unless I, I've missed a report, which again, my head's been in the clouds all day, so I could have missed something, but um, the only report was from it. I would say Jeremy Fowler talking to NFL executives who said uh, right. one NFL executive said that it made sense. You know, it would make sense for the Vikings to go after Lamar, not an indication that the Vikings were ever in talks with Lamar Jackson, not an indication that the Vikings were genuinely interested, just another executive from another team giving his opinion that this would necessarily make sense. So no actionable item as far as I can tell again, unless I missed something. So, I don't think that the Vikings are really in that market. And if they were, I honestly, I think something would have, would, would have kind of materialized in the form of a report. Um, maybe not. Sometimes surprises happen. Um, but um, it, it, it would be, it would be um, certainly a shock to me. So I don't think that they're necessarily going after Lamar Jackson. I find it interesting that Lamar Jackson is attempting to kind of leverage a trade now that the, the, um, the, the free agency franchise market is kind of dried up um, because a trade for Lamar Jackson, one would imagine might be worth more than two first round picks. Maybe not. You know, Aaron Rodgers is not going for even one first round pick, right? He's, it sounds like the latest r reports are that he's probably going to go for two seconds and then some conditional stuff to, to kind of help secure the jets in case of a retirement. Um, but, you know, we saw what like, you know, Russell Wilson went for, and we saw what, um, you know, Deshaun Watson went for, and it feels like you'd get more. The thing with the, the, the franchise tag stuff is that like, yeah, the Ravens could, could match. Um, but you know, if, if you offered Lamar Jackson, what he wanted, the thing the Ravens said no to, it would be very weird for them to match, right? Like you have at least some level of confidence that they won't. And if they do match, like, great. <laughs> you, right. you lost on a free agent. It happens all the time. So I, I feel like there probably would have been something, right? Uh, and, and that didn't happen. So I don't think that that's happening. As for trading up in the draft, I mean, now that the Cousins extension talks didn't necessarily work out, it sounded like, according to um, the guys over Star Tribune with their Access Vikings podcast, it sounds like Kirk Cousins offered an extension below $40 million a year, which is, you know, that's like uh, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo money. It's below Daniel Jones, right? Daniel Jones, two years, 82 million, right? The first two years. Um, you know, I, I, stay that, away from that. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. A terrible deal, I think, for the Giants. But um, yeah. you know, you're welcome, Vikings, right? Yeah, um, right. <laughs> like a gift basket, right? To, yeah. to the Vikings defense, I think. And to but, uh, Ed Donatel, a Christmas right, card. Yeah. yeah. No, for sure. I think that, I think Daniel Jones should rub him in there. But, um, yeah, I, I think that that deal, I mean, like that is, I'm not the world's biggest Kirk Cousins fan. I think that there's a kind of a, a ceiling there, but that deal is like kind of reasonable. If it's below 40 million, you know that that's kind of going to be the cap hit because he insists upon high guarantees. And so there's not a lot of movement uh, of that money around. Um, 
that to me signals that the Vikings want to move on in some capacity. Now, the problem is at 23, kind of difficult to trade up, right? Um, there has been some prediction, more like a guesstimation, that four quarterbacks will go in the top 10. I would not think it would be particularly wise to trade up to, to nine, which I guess what that's where the Chicago Bears are right now. Um, I don't think it would be wise to trade up to nine to, to draft you know that fourth quarterback unless it's someone with insane potential like Anthony Richardson. But if it's like Will Levis, it, that one's a little bit of a tougher sell. Um, yeah. And I, I wouldn't want them to trade up for a hand in hooker. I mean, he's barely a first round quarterback in my, like, why would you trade up? So that one, that one is weird to me. Um, so I don't know how the Vikings would be positioned to trade up for a quarterback in the draft, unless some of these quarterbacks go a little bit later than we all expect, which by the way, that happened last year, right? Like one yeah. quarterback won the first round with Kenny Pickett. Then we saw one of the, the first round potential quarterbacks go in the third round with Desmond Bitter. And we saw two of them go in the fifth round, right? Like, like that was, yeah. that was, that was a wild draft class. And the same thing happened in 2013. We had one quarterback on the first round, EJ Manuel, then the rest went in the second and third round. Right. And so it is possible that these guys drop, right? Like we always talk about how quarterbacks, get pushed up the draft, you know, higher than their talent. But, you know, we kind of forget that there are some years where like a lot of these quarterbacks that everyone's kind of predicting goes high, go high, don't necessarily do that. We got a mix of that in 2017, 2018, right? Like, you know, Patrick Mahomes went 10, right? Um, even though Mitch Trubisky went like three, right? 2018, Lamar Jackson falls to 32. So there is, you know, and, and 2018 had like, you know, a bunch of quarterbacks go near the top. We had, you know, I think one in the middle, if I want to say correctly. And then, and then Lamar Jackson goes late, right? So it is possible one of these guys like drops a little bit further than we think. And, and I don't think we should rule it out, but as of right now, given what we know about the landscape of the draft, um, just not always very much. I, I would think that it would be tough for the Vikings to do that. So certainly I think that they're open to that possibility and maybe the way that they negotiated the contract leaves them that room. But I think maybe it's going to be a second or third rounder, right? It might be, you know, maybe third round Dorian Thompson Robinson, if you think that he's you know good enough to be in the third round. Maybe it's second round, third round Tanner McKee. Maybe it's second round Hendon Hooker. I I mole about that. That sounds like a great value for him, right? Dorian Thompson Robert, Robinson was actually just mocked by Jordan Reed to the Vikings, I think, in the third round. So there you oh, go. Oh wow, look at that. That's great. Love Jordan Reed, by the way. Yeah, um, yeah, he's fantastic. Talk talk about a riser, right? You know, Jordan Reed starts yeah. out, you know, <laughs> like doing right, doing like uh, like Vikings territory type stuff. You know, climbing the pocket type stuff. And now he's all the way up. Yeah, ESPN, yeah, so good for him, dude. Shout out to climbing the pocket, by the way. I think they're getting Jordan Reed on as this is released on Thursday. I think tonight. Oh, look, that's uh, Thursday be a night. He's going to be on climbing the pocket. Wow. Yeah. So all right. Um, so what, like. Uh, so I, I think that we're recording the Norse Code later tonight. So you can listen to Norse Code in the morning, and you can listen to Skull Purple that's Pod in the afternoon, and you can listen to That's right. Climb in the pocket in the evening. It sounds perfect. That's right. Go. Yeah, we got yeah. your whole day planned out. You don't have to go to work or anything. You know, just, <laughs> just, just right. you could go to work. I mean, who, how much yeah, work are you or, really getting done? Right. That, yeah. That's right. That's right. All so, purple, all day, um, all Vikings. I love it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, Arif, I want a quick uh, shout out. I know you always put out a draft big board. Are you, how, how are you on that? Have you released it yet? Uh, when are you going to release it? And um, yeah. So, just so the, the final consensus big board. So this is a project where I take, um, it used to be like 50. It's now grown to at least 80, some at, maybe 90 this year, kind of that, but we'll see. Um, big boards from around the industry. So like your your Mel Kuypers and Todd McShays and Dane Brugler's and 
Lanzier line and, um, you know, the draft networks, big boards and all of the stuff that we're seeing, you know, the ring, the Jordan Reed, right. I ask him for a big board every single year. Um, 80 big boards from around the industry and combine them into one big board. It's the consensus big board. So I can get one ranking and I, I have to use like a somewhat complicated formula. I don't like averaging out the ranks. I don't think that it does a very good job of, of telling us kind of where the industry consensus on a player is. Um, and you know, you have to like throw away like, um, you know, outliers and stuff like that. So it is, it, it becomes a process and not everybody spells player names the same or correctly. Um, but that comes out. So the final version of that comes out, uh, late in, in the process. So basically a week before the draft. So the draft is okay. April 27th. It's just around April 20th, something like that. Um, so that's the final version, but this year is a little bit different in that I have been updating our industry consensus big board throughout the year. So that's still right now. You can go to profilenetwork.com, go to the industry consensus big board that has our latest consensus. And I'm actually doing an update, uh, tonight as we're recording, which means that by the time people are listening to this, it should already be updated to include all of the post combine and most of the post pro day stuff. I know that there's three or four pro days left. Um, so it's going to include all of that, uh, the way analysts have evaluated pro days and stuff like that. So, um, that right now has about 40 big boards and I think 42 right now, 42 big boards that gives us an average. So that is, um, the industry consensus there. And what's really cool is that you can draw a lot of insights from it. So who are the most polarizing players? Does that mean anything to us that we know that these players are, draw the biggest disagreements? Who are the players that people agree on the most? Is Are those players home runs? Are they safe? You know, that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, and, you know, you can split up big boards into different types, like, you know, you know, big industry insiders like, you know, your Todd McShays and, and, and Dan Brugler's too, uh, compared to people who don't really have access to the same tool set of resources, but like to watch a lot of film, like people um, like that, that run like draft blogs, like NFL rough draft, for example, has been a high performing board um, in the consensus big board project over the years. So uh, we, we combine all of those together. We get some really interesting insights and, and that'll come out the week of the draft. So um, that's going to be April, 2024. But if you just want the industry consensus big board, we're updating it every so often. The next update is going to be by the time you listen to this, uh, we'll have a bunch of big boards up there. We, we're up to 300 players. All right. And of course you can follow Arif on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL. Uh, he covers the NFL now. He's not just a Vikings guy anymore. He is the whole whole kit and caboodle, the whole NFL for Pro Football <laughs> Network. And so Arif also is a part of the Locked On Sports Minnesota uh, Minnesota Football Party and Norse Code, as he mentioned. Uh, Arif, uh, any projects you're working on other than the draft uh, big board for Pro Football Network and uh, anything else you want to let our audience know about? Oh, man, I've got like a lot of stuff that's like kind of percolating, but it's just it's so far on the back burner. I don't really want to get too into the weeds on it or too detailed in case it just doesn't work out the way that I want it to. So sure. no huge projects to announce quite yet, but certainly a lot of things that have got on my mind. Um, so, yeah, I mean, stay tuned for for whatever that might mean to the rest of you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do stuff breaking down like pro days that have gone unnoticed. I'm going to do stuff about you know, uh, kind of analytically friendly, uh, you know, NFL draft prospects. And then after the draft, I'm going to do stuff like team grades and player fits and, and stuff like that. We'll see what other big projects we've got coming up. All right. Well, Reef, Hey, we always appreciate it. And uh, man, look forward to seeing more of your coverage as we get closer to the draft and keep on going. ESPN's next, I think, right? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. 
All right, man. Appreciate it. And as always, skull. <laughs>